0: Extend my welcome, especially to those of you who are here for the first time that you joined us uh, as a guest today. I hope that you will move from being a guest to being a friend and a and a member of our community. We're here to serve you. We are uh, studying through the book of Ephes- uh, Philippians, not Ephesians, Philippians, and all of these areas. And through this, we're learning how God God's joy is released, injected into our lives. I'd rather put it out up in front and work around that than arrive at that. And that is simply that joy is on the inside. Joy is on the inside. It's deep down, the undercurrent of our lives. It is the building blocks of our spiritual walk. It is in our hearts. It's in the inner man. It's where God releases joy. Why? Because that's where the spirit of God dwells within us the Holy Spirit that is given to us, God the person that is given to us to dwell in us, to cohabit this temple uh, until we see Jesus face to face. He bears fruit in our life and one of those fruits is joy. So he's going to bear the fruit where he is and that is deep down inside us. What we perceive to be pleasure or happiness is on the outside. And happiness on the outside is very heavily dependent on circumstances, on outcomes, on climate, on moods, on, on everything that is around us. It is, it, is our, it is the environment around us, but that is not joy. Happiness is there. Nothing is wrong with happiness. Nobody has a problem with your happiness or mine. The concern right now is joy, joy in the inside, and the absence of joy, because joy must always be there, no matter what. It must always be there. If you are a child of God, you repented, you got right with God and you received from God both the forgiveness and his presence into your life through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit that he bears in, his li- in your life is what he bears and therefore it must be there. Joy being one of them. It's like salt in food, you know. So whether it's Indian khana or Italian khana whether herbs are there or not there, whether it's grilled or fried or deep fried or baked, one thing that must always remain there, and when it's not there, you know it, is salt. So we want joy, we want joy. And the reason I make this our opening point is because Since it comes and it's so deeply rooted in our walk with God, when it's absent, we need to know where to go looking for it. We need to go back to the person from whom it should come. Happiness comes from people, joy comes from the Lord. So when you go looking for that inner satisfaction, that inner, that there's a kalipan there, there's a kokla pan there, there's an emptiness, there's a vacuum deep down within you. When you're looking for it deep within you and you go to people or circumstances or outcomes and you don't find it, you will eventually be dissatisfied that leads one thing to another so having put that out there we want to get into one of the most important and beautiful passages of scripture Philippians chapter 2 one of the most heaviest and strongest christological passages of scripture and we're looking at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2 i'd love to read that for you first so that we have our framework then we can dive back in and look at each verse Philippians chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, somebody near you will, please do uh, share with them. It's also on the screen. Reading from the NIV, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, capital S, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself and not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of the others. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be uh, used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in the likeness of humanity and human likeness, and by being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name which is above every name, Jesus, Every knee should bow, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, every knee under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the reading of His Word. The first things I want to do when I understand that there is uh, there is a need for joy deep in my life is go back to the foundations and right and build the right uh, foundations in my life. Build the right. Uh, put the right building blocks deep within my inner person. And you'll find four of them as very important. Number one, encouragement. Two, service. Number three, fellowship. And number four, tenderness and compassion. Encouragement. Look at verse one, please. Therefore, if, 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 therefore, if you have any encouragement by being united in Christ, every one of us to deal with the circumstances around us, to deal with the situations, to deal with what life throws at us needs encouragement. You cannot do without encouragement. We need constant encouragement. But where does encouragement come from that brings joy? The encouragement that comes from people allows us to cope. It allows us to cope. But the encouragement that comes from God brings joy. It brings a strength from within. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the encouragement, this encouragement is found by being united in Christ. Look at your Bibles, underline that phrase. By being united with Christ. And you're going to find this theme just hammered in in this passage. Being one, being joined, being united, being of the same mind. All of this has to do with this unbroken fellowship. And division is basically when something comes in between. Are you with me? United is when there's nothing in between us. Division is when something comes in between us. So you and I can control the things that come between me and God, come between me and his agendas, his purposes, his pleasure. So to be united with God is to ensure that nothing comes between me and him. Don't leave it all to him for that. Encouragement. How do I find encouragement? It's by being united with Christ. I have eternal life, I am right with God, I am forgiven, I am clean, I am not condemned. Therein lies my great encouragement that I am right with God. Number two, I need comfort. To do my work, I need comfort. You want me to work, I need my chair, I need my table, I need this normal pen that I use, I need iOS. I cannot work outside of iOS. I need my comfort zone. What is your comfort zone in spiritual life? It needs to be the love of God. If there's any comfort in Christ's love, if there's any comfort in Christ's love, your comfort zone in your spiritual life needs to be in the love of God. That's where you must find your comfort, not on the shoulder of some other person. It is in God's love, it is in Christ's love that you find your comfort. So you need encouragement, you need comfort. You also need fellowship. You need fellowship. This joining, this fellowship, this oneness, this companionship. This camaraderie with the Spirit of God is what you need. Therefore, I emphasize capital S. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So he says, this is how you do it. You make sure that there is nothing that comes between you and the Holy Spirit. Fellowship in the spirit. It is God who has been given to you. His spirit has been given to you to live in you, to direct your life, to provide your emotional needs, your psychological needs, to heal you from the inside out, to give you wisdom and understanding, to release the will of God into your life, the purposes of God into your life. As you read the word and take it in mentally, the spirit of God unpacks it spiritually. Did you hear me? As you read the word and take it in, the spirit of God uh, unpacks it within you and it gives you that wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit, and you break fellowship with the Holy Spirit by entertaining uh, sin in your life, by entertaining hypocrisy. Hypocrisy meaning you're pretending like he doesn't know, but actually he knows. So by just ignoring his presence, ignoring his tugs, ignoring his knocks, his taps on the shoulder, you are slowly disassociating yourself from the Holy Spirit. And he's there, you prayed him in times of need, but essentially you are disconnected. He's not driving your life. He's not driving your life. Capital S. When something comes in between, it is the opposite of united. But you need to be united. United with God, with Christ. United Uh, With him in his love, united with the spirit and finally tenderness and compassion. When you shut the door, when you shut down, when you shut the door on caring for people, you shut down joy. Because you are not internalizing and using the circumstances that God has put you through to care for others. Here's what I mean. Tenderness and compassion. If there is any tenderness, if there is any compassion. And note the word if. Four times over he if, if, if. He's talking about if these building blocks are in place, then you'll be able to experience joy. Tenderness and compassion come from a place of caring for others. Now here's what you do, you and I do. When we're going through a little bit of a tough time, we suspend the obligation to care about others' needs. Because right now I'm going through a tough time. Okay? And Satan says, oh, it's that easy. I just need to get you through a tough time. And basically that shuts off your sense of obligation. It shuts off your your uh, tenderness uh, thermometer and your compassion thermometer. You're not able to feel for anybody else's needs because you're just struggling so much. Okay? If that's how easy it is, I'll just bring some person into your life. Usually it's husband. Because mo- it has to be husband only. now. And then it's a colleague, or it's a situation, or it's an auto driver. For all the auto drivers, it was that one auto driver. (laughs) Someone will come in, and it's so easy to just push you off track. And now you're feeling sorry for yourself, you go into your little shell, now you need to cope. You need to cope, you need to get through this. So he gives you another thing to get through. Next week, one new one will come. And another week, a new one will come. And every week, whole life, we are just coping. We're just getting through. It's a farce. It's a, it's a big farce. You just, you're being tripped. You're being fooled. You're being cut off from a source of joy, which is feeling compassion and tenderness for others. Feeling a care for others. Encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. Put those things in the right place. Then he moves to behavior. You need to build the right foundations for your life. You also need to make the right choices in your life. You see, the thing is, pride is what keeps you from really experiencing joy. Joy is being shut out of our lives at the point of our pride. Joy is being shut out of our lives at the point of our pride. Imagine that being the door, pride being the door. That door, pride, is what closes and shuts out joy in your life. In contrast to that, in contrast to pride, there is humility. Humility is the door that opens and says, "Bring it on, come on in, come. I, I need I, you're welcome in my life." Humility is what leaves the door open so that joy may enter. Pride is what makes sure it doesn't enter. Pride drives our lives, our emotions, our priorities. It drives certain uh, relationships in our life. It drives our plans and purposes and ambitions in our life. Pride is is a killer. So you've got to say no to two things, Paul says. You've got to say no to selfish ambition and vain conceit because that shows up what your pride looks like. It shows what your pride looks like. Number one, selfish ambition. Do you see it there? You see it verse 3? Selfish ambition and vain Conceit. Say no to it. Say no to it. Selfish ambition answers the question, what's in it for me? Because it comes from an old phrase that says to work only for money. To work for wages. So if I'm not going to get paid for this, if I'm not going to get something out of this, I'm not interested. So this I'm doing to get paid for. Selfish ambition is when everything you're doing, you're doing for what you're going to get in return. Selfish ambition says, I must get something out of this. What's in it for me? What is personally a gain for me? C.S. Lewis said, if I may quote him, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. Because at the heart, at the center, is the I, the ego, the self. And selfish ambition is... As long as I am on the throne, it is my will, my plans that are going to run this ship. Vain conceit answers the question, who's noticing me? Who's noticing me? So I paint my house and I do up my house just a little different to the ones on the left and the right, so that I get noticed. I get the car, I get the, I get the dress, I get the, the shirt, I get the, the whatever, just to get noticed. The question you're asking is, if I do this, will I get noticed? Will I get acknowledged? The current word in the corporate sector is visibility. Visibility. Are you going to get visibility from it? Make sure you get visibility. Because it needs to be acknowledged. So far removed from the Christ mindset, which is, what I do, I do because Christ is like that. Now, is it wrong? In certain contexts, it is required. It is required. But we're talking about the character of Christ. Who's noticing me? Joy is not keeping up with people around us. Joy is not in keeping up with people around us. So if I want to get noticed, I'm going to have to constantly keep up with people. I'm in competition with people. Listen very carefully. Joy is not keeping up with people. Joy is found in the people around us. It's found in the very people around us. So I buy something new. I'm happy. When you buy something new, I need to be joyful about it. I need to be joyful about it. So when you buy something new and I find joy in what you have got, something you are rejoicing in, something you have been blessed with, then I have several reasons to be joyful because all of you have gotten something new this week. My life is filled with joy because of what you have been blessed with. But if I'm looking for happiness, I'm the only source. I'm the only source. You say I struggle to be happy for others. You're right. You can't be. Happiness is such an external emotion. But joy comes from really taking an interest and valuing when others are blessed. You're happy because your life is an investment in others. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. Okay, that's what we got to say no to. What should we say yes to? Verse 3 and 4. What should we say yes to? Verse four says, "Say yes to the importance of others and say yes to the interests of others. Say yes to the importance of others, because when I put others as more important than myself, that's where I really show the character of Christ." Now you and I grow in that little journey of importance and we, 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 we of humility, and we say humility, uh, you know, is first thinking less of myself and then when I think less of myself I'm able to then look at others. But humility is not that. It's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not considering yourself as less important and if you grow a little further then humility is not even considering others somewhat important. Humility is considering others as more important. As my NIV says greater value to others. So the camera is not even on you. You're not even a subject. You're not on the paper. You're not, you're of no consequence here. You are about them. And if you're saying, Pastor Jeremy, that's a bit tough. That's a bit unrealistic. It's impractical. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. It's tough. How can that even be done? How can I think of everybody else as more important than me? We'll get there. And the second thing you say yes to is the interest of others. Not just your own interest. Look not to your own interest only, but to the interest of others. Till this point, if you come from any other religion or any other philosophy, you would say that, yeah, we all teach the same thing. It's all great, it's wonderful for all humanity to live in harmony, in oneness. This is good. The Bible is teaching the same thing that everybody else is teaching. Not until, only until verse 4. Verse 5 onwards, that's where everything changes. This is where the power is. This is where it can really happen. This is what makes it totally different because nobody has done it the way Jesus did it. Nobody has gone all the way the way Jesus did. And nobody gives power to you and me the way Jesus does. Number 3, you have to follow the right example, Jesus. You have to follow the right example. Verses 5 through to verse 11. Jesus is the one with the true humility. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come walk with me, share my yoke, and you will find rest. Who takes up a yoke to find rest, huh? (laughs) Did you think through that? Take up my yoke and you will find rest. Interesting. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So the example is Jesus, and I must. Have. So my question is, how do I do this? How can I be that humble? How can I have His humility? And the answer is in the purpose that He took up that humility for. The purpose why He showed that humility. Let's look at it. Verse six. Four ways you to be. You are going to be like Christ, or you can be like Christ. Number one, release. Two, service. Three, obedience. Four, reward. Did not, he did not consider equality. Let me read verse 5 so that we are in uh, sync here. In your relationships with one another, have the same what? Mindset, the same way of thinking as Christ Jesus. So if you think like Christ, you are going to act like Christ. Are you with me there? That's okay? Yeah who being in the very nature God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He is in essence God, but as God, he has a right to the throne, he has a right to be God, he has a right to demand worship, he has a right to have his way, he has a right to make sure you do his way, He has a right to receive service. He has a right to subdue everybody. He has a right for his opinion and his agenda to be uppermost. He has the right. But Jesus showed in his humility that he did not feel the need to hold on to that right, to grasp on to that right, as if he needs that to be God. Are you with me? He can be God without holding on to that. He can. He he is not going to lose himself. He's not going to lose his identity. And you see that played through right to the end of the verse, to the end of that passage, verse eleven. He's not. He's not scared about that. But he gives it up. He doesn't talk about all that. He just says he gives it up. He let it go. He released it. He released the right, the right. And that's what you and I are about. We're all about rights. I have the right to be loved, I have the right to be uh, admired, I have the right to be appreciated, I have the right to be uh, paid this much, I have the right to that position, I have the right to this opinion. Why? Because this happened, that happened, I earned it, I worked, I this, I that. And this bill of rights and this civil rights and this, this information. I, I, I. There are places when that is required. But when my life is driven by I I struggle with this because it goes so deep within me when i when I try to understand how Jesus thought he's saying have the same mind as Christ i I, I need to understand how Jesus thought did not consider himself is consider that his equality with God is something to be grasped onto. So releasing that, he let go. He let go of this right. What did he do then? Uh, verse uh, seven took on the very nature of a servant. So God is to be served, but he became a servant. God is to be served, but he became a servant. And in becoming a servant, he took on the nature of a servant, one who thinks is a servant. And how does a servant think? He's completely devoted to his master. He only thinks about the agenda of his master. He has no personal agenda. He's not thinking of personal gain. He exists for his master, for the pleasure of his master. He took on that mindset and he he was obedient. And to what point was he obedient? He goes on to say he was obedient to the point of death. Why death? Because death is that last and final giving up of everything I am. He died to himself. I'm going to teach you a very important word. It has hardly any depth in English, but in the original uh, language, in the Greek, it is very, very pregnant with meaning. And that word is the word emptied. The word emptied. He emptied himself. When he says he became a servant, he is God. By all rights. But he emptied that, uh, himself of that right and he became a servant. He took on the role. He took on the form of a servant. In doing so, he emptied himself. And I ask the question, what did he empty himself of? So th- therein lies the depth of that word. He emptied himself of himself. The, the big him, the big I, the me. I empty myself of me who i think i am what i think i am that i think i am that me that big capital m me i can't do it i can't do it because the opposite of that is full of yourself don't you ever say that to some people you're so full of yourself that's the opposite of christ he became empty of himself he was so we use we use Weak, insipid words like selfless, you know, selfless and self-denial and all of that. They, don't, they pale when it comes to what Jesus did. He did it to the point of death. He, be, he was willing to become nobody, nothing, of no consequence. And why, by that you mean you take your name and grind it into the dust so nobody ever hears of your name again. He was willing to do that. He was willing to become nobody, nothing for the service of a higher cause, which is God, God's purpose that you should be saved. Are you with me so far? We haven't finished the argument here, but this is what Jesus did. He emptied himself of himself. This process that we call uh, the emptying or the the, the kinosin of Christ is essentially what Jesus did to show humility. That's how you, that's what even, it even sounds, uh, sounds arrogant when Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. Who says that? Who says that? How can I say, learn from me, I am humble. So obviously humility is not in words, are you with me? It's not in words. If I'm not humble, I can't say that I'm humble. And if I am humble, I can say that I'm humble. In the moment that I just said I'm humble, I don't cease to be humble. Because it either it is a fact or it is not a fact. So it obviously is much deeper than that. And Jesus is able to say, learn from me, I am humble, take my yoke upon me and I'll give you rest. Because I went all the way to death. There's something grand, there's something deep, something rich about the emptying of, one, of the big I, the big me, that is humility. And there's something practical and tangible and measurable about it. God would not ask you and me to be humble if it were not possible if you were not able to measure it. So there is a way to be humble and know that you're being humble and stay humble. Otherwise he would not command it of you. But I can't. I can't. I really struggle. At the age of 17, I gave my life to ministry. I gave up my dreams in music. I gave up my dreams in leadership. I gave up my dreams in business. I gave up my dreams in, in a certain couple of careers I wanted to take up. I was very deeply convicted that I must serve and I must serve the church. And it was far from what I actually loved to do. I was passionate to do things that brought me glory. Even in ministry, I struggled with it because I am so full of myself. I am so in this whole game of am I being noticed? Am I being appreciated? Am I being loved? Am I being uh, graded? Am I being valued? Who thinks greatly of me? I am constantly, every day, thinking, I struggle to know what it means to be empty of myself because I am so full of myself. Yes, but while that may be true, he wouldn't ask of me if it were impossible, if if it was not probable. And the way to do it is to take on service, to get involved in service, to serve a cause, a greater cause with your life. Not to serve a task, to serve a cause with your whole life to the point of death that God calls humility. I hope you got that. You can do acts of service, but that doesn't make you a servant. Jesus became a servant To the point of death. Where he became nothing. And he was willing that his name. The I. Who I am. Is buried in the ground. Forgotten. That emptying. Blows my mind. And he humbled himself to the point of death. Became. Obedient to death. Therefore. Now I want you to revel in this. Therefore. God, the father, so highly exalted him. Number four, there is a reward for humility. There's a reward for humility, but the reward must come from God. Therefore, Christ, God so highly exalted him, that at the name, that at the, what does name signify? me i i am jeremy you are not i am my name signifies who i am so when i was willing jesus when jesus i was willing to take my name and become nobody god picked me up and made me not just somebody but the name above every name that long big phrase in the original greek is one word and it means the above every name name. Say it? The above every name, name. If importance and value is by name, identity, then the above every name name was given to him. That at the name that was buried in the ground and died in total humanity, Jesus. Is going to be Jesus. And God did that. That at that name, every knee on earth, every knee in heaven, and every knee under the earth will bow. See, God doesn't want to steal you of your identity, He doesn't want to steal you of yourself. It's not that he doesn't value who you are. He made you who you are. He values who you are greatly, but he doesn't want you to value yourself as much as you really value yourself. He wants you to think differently. He wants you to think like Christ. Why does God want me to think like Christ? Because he said, see, this is what I did with Christ. See, this is what Christ was like. He became nothing. And because he became nothing, I raised him up and I, sh- I- and I glorified him that at his name, every nation, this is what I do with humility. If you will be humble, this is what I will do with you. Because this is what I want to do with you. I want to exalt you. I want to lift you up. I want you to be as with Christ, as uh, of God. I want you to rejoice and share in the glory. Of of my son I want you to be sons I want you to enjoy heaven I want you to enjoy power I want you to be filled with joy I want you to be filled with the character of Christ I want you to be like my son So I can do with you what I have done with my son I don't want you to become nothing for nothing's sake I want you to be nothing for my sake If any man loses his life For my name's sake for my name's sake. It's about identity. And humility is taking the big me off the throne and saying, if it became nothing for God's sake, I'm fine with that. Therein lies the reward. The name that is above every name. Here's what God wants you to do. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be Exalted. you know this verse? For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Ouch. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I want you to circle the word himself, himself. And look at James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Two things are happening here. Sir. There is a humbling and there is a lifting up. We're almost coming to the end of this passage. So you can breathe. You can... You can be happy, you can feel joy. Okay? There's a humbling and there is a exalting. But the key words here, more than humble and exalted is, humble, Ah. you humble yourself and he will exalt you. If you don't humble yourself, if you exalt yourself, he will... Pssst. Why? Because he can't exalt you until you are being humbled. You see what I'm trying to say? He's not out to take out everybody's hair. He's not there. God is not moving around He's not, that's not his character. His desire is to do with you what he did with Jesus. But he can't exalt you when you've gone ahead and done it yourself. See, don't again, I'm again uh, it's not about career and about doing well and about studying well and about uh, progressing and it's not about those that's not it it's about the big i therefore god highly exalted him that at the name of jesus you do the humbling and god will do the exalting you do the exalting then god is going to do the humbling and that's going to hurt because he wants us to be like christ philip brooks to end with his words he said this The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the smallness of your greatness is. For the slightly confused, I repeat. The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, But you stand tall, stand your normal height, but stand against a nature that will show you what the smallness of your greatness is. Therefore it returns to the Lordship of Christ. The three words that begin joy in your life. Joy begins with the three words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. This understanding that I am not being emptied of myself so that I may be hollow. Empty your mind, empty your body, empty Kali. Now what? Now I am empty, now I don't know what to do. The emptying is so that Christ may... Empty to the point of death is so that the life of Christ may live. Many of us, you know, I'll be honest, I'll be daring enough to say this, many of us have, ex- have not experienced the life of Christ in us. The joy, wisdom, understanding, peace, and the l- power. The life of Christ. We have not experienced the life of Christ because we have not experienced the death of ourselves. So don't leave here today. without repentance and recourse. I want to ask you as I close, as I pray for you, can you be left alone with your thoughts? Can I, can, I, can I trust you that if I leave you alone with your thoughts for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you will not spiral down and become depressed? Because many are like that. They are so supported by people, television, phones, gadgets, apps, entertainment, addictions. So supported by that constantly to keep up the happiness quotient. That if all of those crutches were removed, those stilts were removed, and you are left to yourself and your thoughts, you are one depressed puppy. And you're not able to be alone with your thoughts because deep within you there is no source, no fountain of internal self-sufficient joy. And when you're so hung up and dependent on external sources to keep you happy, your expectations are constant, constantly. And when your expectations are constantly not met, you are constantly just a little bit angry. Just not much. Just a little bit. But you're constantly just a little bit angry. Then you have to ask the question, who left the gas on? It goes back to your walk with God. And don't leave here until you sort out your commitment to being joyful because you have no right not to be because you have these three blessings deep within you. United in Christ, the encouragement that comes from that, comfort that comes from his love and conjoining the fellowship that comes with the Holy Spirit that has been given to you. You have no excuse to be joyless. So can I trust you to be alone. With your thoughts. When you are alone. Are you drained. And left with your. Difficult thoughts. And your depressing thoughts. And your spiral down, spiraling down emotions. Or are you recharged. Because you are with the spirit of God. And your communion is one. And you are. And you are. Complete. You're complete because you're alone with him. All this to draw you to a place of repentance and readiness to let God do something new in your life with every head bowed and every eye closed. Make the commitment to make Jesus your joy. Make the commitment to be joyful. Make the commitment to to let go of your dependence on things that make you happy and seek joy over happiness. That you will not look for joy on the outside because then you will evaluate it by your eyesight and by your senses. committed to not just coping through difficult times but enjoying God's presence through difficult times father if the scripture says Christ in us the hope of glory if that is true and it indeed is let our countenance shine oh God with a joy that bubbles within us and let that be the witness that you are a life-changing God. And that your command to us to be empty is soon followed by your commission on us to be full with him, with Christ. That the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the father fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forever hi i'm jeremy dawson and if you liked what you just saw if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know, right? Comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.